If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we are continuing and, and nearing the end of our fall sermon series on Paul's epistle to the Philippians. And this morning we have a short passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. And just by way of reminder, we call it the book of Philippians, but it was a letter. It was a letter written by their pastor, by their missionary, by their apostle, whom we call Paul. And like a good pastor... He has pastoral words of encouragement for them, and so we have that here in these two short verses. However, this is still God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word for us. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also... True companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Lord, when we read these words, we at first might be taken aback to see specific names uh, called out here in the local church. And Lord, what a reminder this is that the word of God is for us, it is for people, it is to instruct us in the way of righteousness. And so Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I am sorry, sir. But your name is not on the list. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you showed up for an event or a program or a show and you gave your name and you were sure you bought your tickets and you had your name on the list, but only to find out your name is not there? It's not a good feeling when that happens. I've had that happen several times. Here in chapter 4 of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, He will conclude his letter, again, with some very practical instruction for the church here in Philippi. And here in our short passage today, Paul mentions a list, a a roster or a, a registry called the Book of Life. The context that Paul mentions this Book of Life is because there was some some friction, some disagreement that had developed here in the local church at Philippi. But even though some friction and disagreement was apparent in this local church, it did not change the fact that here Paul's words are for the Christians of that local church. And he even names them, Yodia and Syntyche, and another whom many believe was probably a man named uh, Syzygus. Paul says here, true companion, and also Clement, and other fellow workers of the gospel, Paul mentions. So you could imagine this letter being read out loud in the church, and there's lots of good practical theology, and 
What if you're sitting there listening and the letter kind of gets long and all of a sudden you hear your name? Uh-oh, <laughs> I'm getting called out here in the, in the church to agree in the Lord. And, and, and the point is here, these were, these were not just some random people out in the community. These were churchgoers. These were believers. These were Christians. These were normal church members. And so oftentimes we can forget, right, that these letters, that the scriptures, the New Testament epistles are written to real people in real churches. And yes, Paul's letters contain some, some rich and some lofty theology that is so helpful for the Christian life, but more often than not, Paul is addressing the pastoral needs of the congregations that he's writing to, and specifically, he's addressing something here today that he kind of mentioned earlier in his letter. Back in chapter 2, you may remember that the exhortation that Paul was giving to the church was to put others first. Think of others', others interests before your own. And we actually fast-forwarded to these few verses as an example of what that looked like. We see Paul's pastoral heart for two women in the church who were in disagreement. And so so Paul is here pleading to his fellow elder, again, who he says was his true companion. Other translations, translations say a yoke fellow. He was someone obviously there shepherding them. He was probably an elder in this local church. We think his name may have been Syzygus, and he was saying, hey, I need you to, to shepherd them, to help them to agree in the Lord. So these ladies who weren't getting along, they, again, were not lost pagans. They were not just some random people out in the community. They were Christians. And point being, Christians can and often do disagree. This does happen in the local church. No surprise, right? And when this happens, the encouragement the Apostle Paul gives here is not to just get along, nor is he say to ignore each other or go to another church down the road. But he says, no, please remember that these are co-laborers, co-laborers in the gospel. To remember they have fellowship in the gospel and mutual fellowship as they are on this shared mission to share Christ with the world. And this shared mission can and should move us toward deeper fellowship and more agreement with one another in the Lord. And there's nothing in all the world like the gospel that can do this. There's nothing. There's nothing that can bring agreement. There's nothing that can bring two different people together like the gospel There are many things in this world right now today that are dividing us, right? There's politics, there's socioeconomics, there's cultural differences. But the gospel, the gospel can and does do wonders to bring people together from all walks of life. Even two people that are butting heads with one another. But Paul does not, but Paul does make a reference here that I, think it's worth us spending the rest of our time this morning studying. He mentions all those whose names are in the book of life. Another common ground for unity in the local church 
is that there are those whose names are written in the book of life. In other words, those who have graciously and sovereignly been chosen by God to inherit eternal life are to seek unity and reconciliation with one another. And here we find another one of those great indicatives of the Christian life leading to the imperative. And that is because your name is written in the book of life, seek unity with all who labor in the gospel. And so let's look at this. What, what is this book of life that Paul references here? This is actually the, really the only time that he references it in any of his letters. What is the book of life? The 17th century Puritan Thomas Brooks, I believe, gives us a very helpful and straightforward definition here. The book of life is the book of all those who were elected and redeemed to life through Jesus Christ. The book of life, as referenced here in the scriptures and other places, is all those who are elected and redeemed to life through Jesus Christ. So let's observe from here and other places in the scripture some truths about the book of life. The first is, the book of life is actually referenced several times in the Old Testament. In other words, This was not a new idea that Paul was introducing here. This is, again, the only time that we find it specifically in his letters, but we can assume that he thought that his congregation that he had trained and pastored for many years, they they knew their Bibles, they knew their Old Testaments, and they knew this reference to the book of life. We can go all the way back to Moses. In, in, In chapter 32 of Exodus, Moses pleads with Yahweh God to to save the stubborn Hebrews. And he says, would you please not blot their names out of the book that you have written? This book seems to be a registry of those who belong to the covenant people of Israel. And then in the Psalms, we read Psalm 139 this morning. There's a reference to God's eternal decree over all things, and even those are written in a book. In Isaiah chapter 4, the prophet Isaiah mentions the remnant of God's people who are still left, who are still behind. Their names are recorded for life in a book. And then in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel prophesied that there would be a deliverance for the remnant of God's people whose names are written in a book. And this is to show this concept of the book of life and whose names are written in it belong to God. And this, in fact, finds its origination in the Old Testament. So let me just stop to say here, even though we refer to this book of life, this book is more than likely a metaphor, a worldly example of a reality in the mind of God. As we know, God is not made of substance. He is a spirit. So we must probably be careful not to think that God has, you know, this registry up in heaven and he's, you know, wetting that pencil and watching us like a policeman in the sky or something. This is, God is God. He doesn't need such things. He is sovereign over all. However, we make reference to this book of life because it's symbolic, right, of the sovereignty and the omniscience of God. He 
knows everything and knows everyone. Another truth here about this book of life, that it's testimony of God's sovereign grace. The book of life is testimony of God's sovereign grace. I think those two words, sovereign and grace, are very important to understand what we're about to talk about here. In the ancient world, specifically in the time that the book of Philippians was written, we know that Rome was the center of the world. The Roman Empire was the dominant world power of the time. And so to be a citizen of this empire, to be a citizen of Rome, brought some of the highest privileges and great pride to people. We know from history that Roman citizens' names were recorded in a registry to prove their Roman citizenship. The Apostle Paul was, in fact, a Roman citizen, and he he makes reference to this when he asked for an audience with Caesar to appeal his case. And so to be a Roman citizen was really to guarantee a good and happy life in a Rome, Roman-dominated world. Otherwise, you would be considered a slave. But what about for Christians? Does our political and our national citizenship, does it earn us favor somehow in the life to come? No. No, it does not. We concluded last time that our citizenship is in heaven, right? And our belonging is to God and to his heaven. That is where our hope is found. And therefore, the most important list, the most important roster that we want to make sure we find our name on is what Revelation refers to as the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is this heavenly register of those who have been eternally saved, those whom God has sovereignly chosen or predestined, or we would say the elect. And heaven will only be composed of those whose names are written in this book of life. The book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, gives much further explanation and teaching on this Lamb's book of life. Uh, Just to mention a few, we read in Revelation 3, where Jesus is quoted here saying, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. It's good news there. Jesus guarantees that those who are the elect, those whom God's sovereign grace he has chosen will be confessed before his Father in heaven. Later in Revelation 20, as, as the great judgment is taking place, the Apostle John records here, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they have done. The point being here that those who who do not worship God, those who in fact we read in Revelation worship the beast, that is Satan, their names do not appear in the book of life 
it will in fact be thrown into the lake of fire, which scriptures call the second death. And so from Revelation, we can conclude that this book of life is a register of those who have been elected, those who have been predestined by God from all eternity to be saved, all because of his sovereign grace. Those whose names are in the book of life are those whom Jesus Christ has merited faith, those whom Jesus Christ has has moved in their hearts for repentance and perseverance. And we can conclude from the scriptures that this book of life was written before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, God chose whose names would be written in this book. Those who were loved by God and eternally saved. This book was written because of God's sovereign grace and his sovereign love to set his affection on those who would belong to him. God did not look into the future and see who would choose him and who would not. He did not look into the future and, and, and decide whose name should be written in the book of life if they were obedient and whose should not. No, he is the one who sovereignly chose whose name should appear in the book of life. And it's all because of his sovereign grace, his love, his work, not ours. And that leads to another truth here. Only God has the book of life. Only God has the book of life. I get so frustrated when we get called the frozen chosen. Have you heard the Presbyterians getting called the frozen chosen? We need to stop that. Let's find another nickname. I don't know which one. But we believe wholeheartedly that God is God, and he knows, and we don't. The truth is, and it's very clear from Scripture, that God knows whose names are written in the book of life, and this can cause some to react in a very demanding way, a negative way. That's not fair. You thought that before, maybe yourself. That's not fair. But this is why we reference God's sovereign grace. God is the sovereign one. He chooses. It is his choice, and it's founded in grace. For what is truly fair, we must confess, that mankind would perish in sin against a holy God, and our names should not be written in the book of life. God in his grace does have those who belong to him in the book of life. And we must remember this, this book belongs to God. It's, it's his list. He knows who's on it. And we don't. We can surmise whose names are written in the book of life by someone's fruit, by their profession of faith, by their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But only the Lord truly knows. One scholar states that God has not chosen to reveal the names written in the book of life. It's it's none of our business. We are not free to speculate about it. What he has revealed is the responsibility of each individual to repent and believe the gospel. If a person does not believe the gospel, he has no one to blame but himself. 
If a person does believe the gospel, he has no one to praise but God. Isn't that true? If someone doesn't believe, it's, it's on them. But if someone does believe, it is the Lord God Almighty who sovereignly chooses. All glory to God for the names written in the book of life. Sam Storms very precisely states this. Belief in Jesus is the fruit of having one's name inscribed in the book of life, not its cause. Belief in Jesus is the fruit of having one's name inscribed in the book of life, not its cause. And this is consistent with the Bible's teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, not by works, so that no one can boast. All glory be to God. And there's good news. This is another truth here. If you're writing numbers here, it's the fourth one. Those whose names are in the book of life will persevere. This is the wonderful fruit of the promise that those who are in God's book of life, they belong to him. They have been adopted in his family and bear his name and have all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of God. And these promises are great. This promise is true that the one who conquers, that is the one who belongs to Christ, the one who's been adopted by God, they will be clothed in white garments, Revelation says. And Jesus says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Some would ask, how could someone's name be erased from the book of life? That's, that's not what this statement here from Jesus is entertaining. He's saying it can never be blotted out. It can never be erased. It is there. And I will confess his name before my father, Jesus says, and before his angels. And so having our name inscribed in the book of life before the foundation of the world means that God will keep, keep you. You are his. There is no fear from falling away. You will persevere to the end. You are held by a love that will not let you go. Is that not good news? Because I'll be honest with you. There are times where I think I should erase my own name from the book of life. And there are those of us who feel we are not worthy to have our name in the book of life. When we feel this way, we must repent. <laughs> because we must believe it is God who has us, not we who have him. It is his love that will not let us go even when we don't feel like it. Is that not good news? Is that not the best news? And that's the fifth truth. The book of life is a source of great joy. Of great joy. Having your name written in heaven is the source of greatest joy imaginable. Your name is on the list if you're in Christ Jesus. It, it, it cannot be erased. It cannot be forgotten. It cannot be lost. In chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, we have an account of Jesus and his disciples. 72 disciples returned from sharing the gospel, and they were excited and couldn't wait to get back to Jesus and tell him of all the fruit that they had seen from their ministry 
And they said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. How exciting would that have been, right? You were out there doing gospel ministry. Somebody comes up to you possessed. And by the way, that's not a favorite part of my ministry. I don't like dealing with possessed people. But they were there. And they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And those demons were, were leaving and fleeing. And, and, and they were like, wow, <laughs> this is incredible. And they couldn't wait to come back to Jesus. You know, it worked. <laughs> Jesus, of course it worked, you know. I have authority over them. But then, what did Jesus say to them? Something remarkable. He said he shepherded them and, and loved them and said to his disciples, do not rejoice in this, that the, that the demons are subject to you. I, I know that's cool and all, Jesus says, but do not rejoice in this. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Think about that. That stuff is, ministry is exciting. Gospel going forward, people being converted, demons being casted out, people being healed. That is all exciting, but not as exciting as your name being written in heaven. Think about that. Jesus teaching them. Yes, these temporary worldly blessings, they're good, but they're not great. The greatest is those whose names are written in heaven. What a blessing and what a wonder that God does this. Because yes, we, we believe that the benefits and the power of Jesus are wonderful, but even more so is our name being written in heaven and enjoying life with Jesus forever. And, and incidentally, this is a reason to evangelize. Okay, so there are those who accuse, especially us Presbyterians, that we're not into evangelism, we're the frozen chosen because God already has his names written and we just need to let God do his work and we just sit back. No, no, no. This is a reason to evangelize because God has ordained those who would belong to him. And it is why we go and share Jesus with others. We don't idly sit back and do nothing because God has already chosen. No, God has, in fact, commanded us, those who belong to him, to go. He has commanded his followers to go and to share the good news because it is the means that he has chosen to inscribe names in the book of life. Think about that. There are those in your neighborhood. There are those in your places of work. There are those in your school who have not known Jesus, who have not heard about his salvation, whom God will use you to reveal to them that their names are written in the book of life. That's good news. And that is why it's great joy when children come to faith. What joy it is when God not only rescues someone from their circumstances, but he rescues them from eternal damnation, that they are brought into fellowship with Jesus and his church, and we can rejoice because their names and our names are written in the book of life. Brothers and sisters, this is reason to go and share Christ with others. These truths about the book of life should affect the way we live because of our true citizenship 
our names being engraved on the rolls of heaven. And it is why in the local church, and we, and we are to see this world and this life differently, because we know that the most important thing, again, is not politics, it's not money, it's not belonging, it's Jesus and having our names written in the book of life. And thus, this is very freeing, and it frees us to obey and to seek the good of others. And that's why, as Dennis Johnson states, that the divine grace that wrote our names on the electing heart of God before the foundation of the universe infinitely overshadows any and every impersonal friction that threatens to divide us. Think about that. This dust-up that was going on in the local church. Paul was reminding them to agree, but to agree in the Lord and to remember your names are written in the book of life. And because their names in the book of life, we can and must rejoice in the Lord and seek unity in the local church. So I would like for us to close by reflecting on some questions. Could I ask you to do something kind of different? Could I ask you to close your eyes? Could I ask you to close your eyes and to think on these questions? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he was a man, that he came and was born, but not only was he a man, he was and is God, the Savior? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Will you be counted among those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? If you know it is, then rejoice and be glad and praise God. If you're not sure, if you're struggling this morning, then pray and beg God for the assurance that you need. If this morning you know your name is not written in the book of life, if you're not sure, if you're confused, if your heart aches, then find someone, find a friend, a parent, Please grab an elder this morning or a pastor and ask them to show you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are folks here who would love to point you to Jesus. May God help us to rejoice in God's sovereign grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you will pray with me. Oh Lord, this is a an awesome reality that we are faced with this morning. That you and your sovereignty know those who belong to you, whose names are written in the book of life. 
And Lord, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we know, we know that our names are there and they cannot be erased. And we praise you and thank you for that. And so, Lord, with that knowledge, help us to love you more and to love our neighbors, Lord, especially our fellow church members. Father, I pray for someone this morning who may be scared, may be confused, who may not understand what this book of life is about. Lord, would you move in their heart? And would you show them Jesus, the most beautiful one who there ever was. All glory and honor be to him. Amen.